You're listening to the Future of Finance podcast by UK Finance, a series exploring the latest trends in financial services, how they're changing, and how firms can equip themselves to face the challenges of tomorrow. Hello, and welcome to the UK Finance Future of Finance podcast. I am Ogil Densi, Principal Cybersecurity here at UK Finance. In our episode today, we will take a look at the state of cybersecurity and explore the ways in which the financial sector is reacting and responding to the impact of cyber threats and attacks on the sector, both as individual organizations and as a collective. We will also delve into the cloud adoption and cyber operational resilience intersection, discussing the many ways the sector can embed cyber resilience as they progress in their cloud adoption journey. I have the pleasure of welcoming to the discussion today two incredible guests. And I'll start with you, Sarah. We have Sarah Armstrong-Smith. Sarah is the Chief Security Advisor in Microsoft's Cybersecurity Solutions area. She principally works for UK financial services and strategic customers across Europe, helping them evolve their security strategy and capabilities to support digital transformation and cloud adoption. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Oge, and I'm absolutely delighted to be with you all today. I also have Ian Benson. Ian is a partner within the cybersecurity practice at PwC. He leads the UK financial services cyber practice and spends his time advising clients and boards on cyber risk, strategy, and transformation. He has also filled a number of senior security roles. Welcome, Ian. Thanks, Okay, Really pleased to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks again to both of you. It's an absolute pleasure to have you with me, and I cannot wait to delve into some of the questions that I have in store. But before I do my delve in, Sarah, I I want to come to you. Could you please set the scene uh, with regard to the current state of cybercrime? I mean, what has happened in the financial sector and what have you experienced uh, across the financial sector as you've worked with your clients? Yes, thank you, Oge. So in October this year, Microsoft released our annual digital defense report. And and this is really a look back over the last 12 months to really understand what are the key trends, how's the changing landscape. And we identified five different areas. So the first one was about cybercrime. The second was about the change in nation state actors. The third was really having a deep dive with regards to the changes and requirements with regards to IoT and OT security. The fourth area is really what we've been experiencing with regards to the global pandemic and hybrid working. And the fifth one was a reflection with regards to the emerging threat of disinformation. But I think which is core really when we're talking about financial services and the financial sector in general is really with regards to cybercrime. So we look at phishing continues to be the most common cyber threat. And in fact, 70% of all attacks start with some kind of phishing or credential compromise. The second area of focus is really around ransomware. And it's probably the most operationally impacting cybercrime of all. In particular, we're seeing that cyber attackers are really infiltrating into critical infrastructure, which includes financial services. The third area when we talk about cybercrime is in relation to business email compromise. 
And in fact, business email compromise is the most financially impacting cybercrime of all. And it equates to 40% of all the financial crime. And it's probably one of the biggest growing areas of tax, particularly when we look at the abuse of the supply chain. And when you think of how large the supply chain is for financial services, I think it's business email compromise in particular, which is becoming a growing concern. And that's not all. When we think about the evolution of cybercrime and how the cybercriminals are evolving at scale and evolving their tactics, we have to consider that cybercrime is becoming so profitable, it's potentially overtaking the drugs trade um, with regards to how the cybercriminals are evolving and becoming syndicates. And a lot of this is in regards to evading that detection and moving money very quickly. So the FSIs themselves are not only just high value targets for cybercrime, but potentially they're also on the hook for those additional high costs when it comes to protecting their consumers for being victims of scams and fraud. And even when we think about insurance companies, you're having to pay out huge insurance claims when it comes to those ransomware business email compromise and just those victims of cybercrime. And there's that additional pressure coming from consumers and regulators as well. So we really do need to be cognizant of that evolving risk, but also how the FSIs themselves are huge targets for attack, particularly when we're thinking about even some of those nation state actors, if they are trying to impact the UK economy in particular. Thank you so much, Sarah. You have listed a lot that the financial sector needs to be aware of and a lot of, of, around the current state of cybercrime. I wanted to pick up particularly on ransomware, you know, and the link into cyber insurance and insurance claims. That has certainly been one of the big conversations that's happened across the sector. I like that you also called out the evolution of tactics and how cyber criminals continue to evolve the means in which that they try to attack and they try to obtain information um, from us across the sector. I wanted to just stay with you for a moment there. How are we, from your experience, how have we reacted? How are we reacting both individually and collectively to the state of cybercrime? Yeah, thank you, Sergey. And that's a great question. And I think when we think about the added pressures that the FSIs have been under, so with the global pandemic, they've had to adjust to remote and hybrid working. They've even had to support consumers with loans and those payment breaks and all through the global pandemic. And it's hard to believe that we're nearly two years down the road. But at the beginning of that, it was very much around availability and having to make sure that those services also included security and compliance. But overall, I think it's absolute testament to the strength of the industry with regards to how they've collectively responded to the challenges and been able to support not just their customers, but also their employees and that evolving landscape as we talked about. And I really think that although we've seen a considerable risk and the way that the attackers are taking advantage, that we've also had to reflect uh, that many FSIs are also reconsidering their business models and are really now looking to the cloud in particular with regards to how they can now look for innovation, increase security capability, but also how they achieve cost optimization at the same time. I'd agree with all of that, Sarah. I think I think that's spot on. I think. What I'm seeing is that the FS organisations that are responding well are the ones that are simulating the type of attacks that attackers are using and learning from that to improve their controls. 
And the other bit I'd say is, is the ones that are good at this are the ones that still focus on the hard basics, the stuff the regulator talks about around access control, removing vulnerabilities, really testing and understanding how you're going to kind of respond to incidents. And fundamentally, a lot of this still is about how do you secure your sensitive data? And, and I think that bit's particularly important when you, when you think about the move to cloud. Thank you very much, Ian and, and Sarah. And, and Ian, I like what you said with sort of the basics, essentially the cyber essentials and making sure that you have that done properly. I think that's really important. And Sarah, something you talked about with how the business model evolves and the importance of that evolution. I think that's, that's, that was a really good call out. Thank you. Ian, just staying on you there for a moment, I mean, with what we've talked about, looking at the scene and what we are doing and how we're reacting as FSIs, I'd like to say that senior management have a role to play in how their organization reacts and responds. Why is this important? I think it's really important. For, there's probably a couple of aspects to it. I think fundamentally, the senior executives set the tone for the whole organization, right? So, so if they're seen as taking it seriously, then others will too. I think also if you're if you can raise the awareness of executives and their understanding on the topic, then they can help drive and make sure that the organization has the right resources it needs to manage the threat. And I think part of that as well is through that senior exec understanding and sponsorship, they can also drive that broader business buy-in. There's a number of of areas within cybersecurity that I think are really hard to tackle without that buy-in. Areas like data security, where you really need to understand kind of who owns that data where's that data going before you can properly secure it and that needs that that business input the other bit in terms of boards and board awareness on on cyber is you know the decisions that the boards make can have a really significant negative or positive impact on the security of the organization so whether that's around acquisitions or decisions around channels to market or big transformations like cloud so the more boards understand that, I think the more they can drive a strategy that, that enables the organisation to be securable. And ultimately, that's you know reducing complexity about simplification. I, th- I think cloud's a big part of that, potentially. And, and what I'd say is, that, you know, in the last couple of years in financial services, I've seen a, a big uplift in that understanding from boards and the organisations that are doing this really well, are shifting away from just that understanding and awareness and actually boards starting to take more ownership of this as a risk. Thank you very much, Ian, for that. And just picking on a few things that you said there, you know, how cloud can support your transformation journey, how cloud can help you with things like data security, reducing complexity, really understanding what you have in your environment. I think that's really important. And now I want to bring in cloud adoption into this conversation. Uh, and coming to you, Sarah. Historically, we know that organizations have moved their operations from on-premises or any other to the cloud without a clear technology security strategy. Why is this attitude bad for business? And and what I like to call and what we call this lift and shift attitude, why is that bad for business? Yeah, thanks, Okay, Another great question. And also to reflect on what Ian was saying, this is really about a, a strategic business decision in terms of really understanding the value of what you're trying to achieve when you move to the cloud. When we think about cybersecurity, uh, historically, it may have just been seen as a bolt on a necessary evil or even an afterthought when we're thinking about those checks and balances before a system went live. Um, but we've really seen that shift in emphasis over the last few years that cybersecurity is absolutely critical and fundamental to everything that we're doing when we talk about technology. 
And I think about FSIs in particular. Now, when we think about maybe some of the larger banking institutions, perhaps they've come from that traditional lockdown environment where the majority of services were maybe hosted in their own data center. But over time, we've seen that shift to the cloud. We've seen those emerging services, those fintechs that were actually born in the cloud and how they've been able to take advantage of that. So when we think about just some of those requirements, that shift to the cloud, hybrid working, the use of over thousands of applications and where we see the really the value. So when we're thinking about moving to the cloud, what we're really trying to avoid is trying to just keep look at our old ways of working and just moving data um, from one data center to another. And that really does not provide the value when we're thinking about cloud innovation. So what we're thinking about really is how do we take the value of the cloud in terms of the benchmarking, blueprints, innovation, taking advantage of the new techniques and practices and that hyperscale of the flexibility and the agility that comes with cloud adoption. But on top of that as well, it's being able to take advantage with regards to DevOps and coding. So if you're only thinking about it from a straight lift and shift, you're not really understanding the true advantage that the cloud provides when we're thinking not just in terms of security and availability, privacy, but also, as we said, that innovation and that really objective when we're thinking about those changing business models and how we think about the future. Thank you very much for that, Sarah. Coming to you, Ian, cyber attacks, you know, we've talked about this already today. Sarah has set the scene. Uh, you've already talked about how we're reacting, what we're doing, and what we should be doing better. Basically, it has become one of the most significant scenarios that we continue to test as part of business continuity and operational resilience. And what I wanted to say here is the use of public cloud may sometimes seem like an added, added strain on a firm security posture. What is security by designing cloud and how can we use cloud effectively and correctly to ensure security and resilience is at the forefront of our minds? Yeah, no, no, it's interesting. I, I think if cloud's approached correctly, then then it can be more secure, right? There, there are some obvious benefits to moving into the cloud, and I think Sarah has touched on on some of them. You know, the shared model ultimately takes away some responsibility from firms in terms of things like patching and network management, and a lot of those have been a real challenge, particularly for sort of the large FS organisations over the last few years. So CSPs are, are good at this stuff. You know, they're continually investing in their security solutions around things like data encryption, around segregation and monitoring, far more actually than, than most FS organizations would be able to. And there's an obvious benefit that comes with the cloud as well. The power and scalability of the cloud means that in theory, you should be less vulnerable to things like denial of service attacks where attackers try to overwhelm systems. But there's a really key point here is that not all these security features are enabled by default. I think, you know, that's understandable. Not all customers want all the services. So it's, it's really critical to, to understand and define the services you need and, and the responsibilities around those at an early stage as part of any kind of cloud contracting or, or cloud transformation. And then the other key step is to make sure you have the processes in place to, to monitor and, and ensure that those controls are operating effectively. The other bit I'd say about cloud is, you know, the shared responsibility models there, but ultimately the ownership of the, the data and the security around it and the governance always stays with the customer. So it's really important that, that firms think about how are they securing that, that data? How are they integrating 
what they're doing into the cloud, into their their existing kind of in-house security solutions so that they can stay on top of the risk. And I think to Sarah's point, that to really manage the risk in the cloud, it is about building your solutions so that they're ready for the cloud, they're cloud native, and that you're baking in security right from the start of that, that life cycle. Thank you very much, Ian. So I'm going to take the last thing you said, baking in security into your life cycle. I think that's really important to call out. Sarah, you, you already talked about being able to take advantage of cloud and the value that it provides. And, and one of the things that we struggle with is really utilizing cloud to its full potential. How can an organization truly take advantage of these capabilities and how can we identify it? How can we enhance it? Uh, and how can we continue to build on our existing capabilities with what cloud offers? Yeah, so just to pick up from uh, what we were saying with regards to that shared responsibility model and some of the additional value that comes from utilizing the cloud, but also the cloud service providers intelligence as well. So we've already talked about the agility, the flexibility that the cloud provides. But also in terms of that volume, that hyperscale, um, one of the biggest benefits is also with regards to getting access into the threat intelligence that comes through understanding the evolution of that cyber crime and cyber trends as we talked about. So just to put that into perspective from a Microsoft point of view, so every single day we collect, process and analyze over 24 trillion telemetry signals. Now that is coming from our cloud platform, it's coming through our search engines, endpoints, even Xbox, believe it or not. So how do you make sense of 24 trillion signals? Well, we use huge amounts of machine learning and data analytics. And really what we're trying to do is turn this into actual intelligence, but we're not just reliant on the technical information. We overlay this with human intelligence. And we have over eight and a half thousand people who are focused specifically on cybersecurity. So this is a mix of analysts, they're data scientists, we even have lawyers. And it's about trying to understand context to what is going on, how cybercrime evolving. So actively, operating and monitoring over 140 different threat actors globally. Some of these are ransomware operators. Some of these are also nation states. But it's really about contributing to that intelligence and making sure not only is that into a feedback loop into the technologies that our customers are consuming when they're utilizing the cloud technology, but our objective as well is to share this information as widely as possible with customers, partners and regulators. I think one of the key things and a key concept that is so important to what we're seeing right now is a principle of zero trust. And we know this sounds like a buzzword, uh, but from a Microsoft perspective, it's really quite simple. Um, and we talk about this in terms of principles and architecture decisions. This is not a technology per se. But I think one of the simplest things to think about is overarching everything when we're thinking about cybersecurity and the risk of cyber is that assume compromise mindset is so important. So it doesn't matter how much you've invested in the cybersecurity defenses and that testing and capability, you have to assume, but with the best will in the world, someone can still get access to your network, to your people, or even to your data. And if that is the case, what can they do with it? What steps do I need to take? And how do I evaluate the risk when I'm determining the priorities? 
The second principle is about verifying explicitly. So we can't just trust that because someone has the right credentials or the right device, that it is legitimate user. So we're constantly verifying every time somebody logs on, but also in terms of the sessions, the data they're accessing, what they're doing. And it's really about if we can understand what normal behavior is for that particular user, then we can start to track and understand anomalous behavior as well. And the third area is about the principle of least privilege. Now, this is so critical when we're thinking about ransomware in particular. So for an attacker to achieve their objective of encrypting a network or exfiltrating data and to cause that kind of big impacts that we're seeing, they need to have administrative access. We know we can't stop every attack, so we try to slow it down. And from a Microsoft perspective, we're also asked, how does Microsoft secure Microsoft, particularly when we're thinking about the size of the cloud platform. Well, that principle of least privilege is so important. We do not have open-ended access and we apply just enough and just in time access. So if something only takes five minutes, we only give five minutes access and then it's shut down. So even if an attacker were able to get access, they're really stuck in terms of what they can do and how they can do it. And this is just one of those examples of we can take a very good action ourselves when we're thinking about those principles, policies, processes, and just making sure that we can slow that attack down. So that zero trust mindset is becoming so important when we're talking about security. Thank you so much, Tara. I mean, it is clear to see that cloud service providers like yourselves are thinking about not just how can we deliver cloud as a, as a technology and infrastructure, but what are the capabilities that make sure that we're thinking about security, we have that process in our, in our heads, how will your customers utilize your infrastructure? How would they use it to enable these capabilities that help them stay secure? Um, so it's very important to, to, to hear and, and for our listeners as well, that the cloud is more than just an infrastructure. There's all of the uh, advantages and, and what it provides um, that we can use. And I mean, Ian, you talked about access control, having the right cyber essential. So being able to connect using cloud and ensuring cybersecurity and you have the right capabilities in place is really important. So thank you for that. Ian, just coming to you now, and you know, you have been fortunate to, to have seen the growth and evolution of, of cloud and innovation, especially working within the financial sector. What has been the significance of adoption over time and, and what can you call out some specificity to cybersecurity practices? Look, it's pretty obvious, but I tend to think of the benefits around cloud in, in sort of three buckets. So you've got driving that growth through better products and services to customers, as you say, okay. You've got obviously the kind of cost optimization play, and typically that's about reducing total cost of ownership for IT. And, and that comes with it with a shift from a CapEx model to a, to an OpEx model. And then you've got the kind of last bucket of just sort of operational or, or compliance drivers. And, and as we talked about, that could even be, you know, improving security or, or, or resilience. I'd say historically in FS, a lot of the focus was on, on cost reduction and that, that was often driven by IT or finance. But now it is very much more focused on that on that growth agenda and, and the operational benefits that come with that. As we've said, you know, the shared responsibility model allows FS firms to focus on delivering high quality services and products to customers and not managing that underlying tech and the data centers and physical security and all that sort of stuff. And that does help buy time and, and, and focus to, to really drive innovation, things like speed to market and improve customer experience. 
for example, we see FS orgs, you know, leveraging data analytics and insights through AI and machine learning to, to construct and sell financial products or quantify and manage risk exposure, identify fraud, all that sort of stuff. So with any new product or service, you are potentially increasing the attack surface. The fact that cloud environments by their very nature are, are more connected to the internet does bring risks too. And so I think it's really important for all the things we've talked about to make sure you're following that good practice. You understand what you're putting in, in the cloud and how you're managing the risks around it. Thank you so much, Ian, for that. And I want to come to you, Sarah, and you talk, you talk about you know, the cyber capabilities that cloud offers. What can we expect next from you as a cloud service provider? Yeah, I think we're in a very interesting position when we talk about you know, the sheer scale and volume of cybercrime and some of the big attacks that we've seen, particularly in the last year. So we've had solar winds. We've also seen a big attacks against Microsoft itself with those attacks against the exchange service. And this really came to a head in May of this year when President Biden issued an executive order from the White House, where he made a plea for public and private sector collaboration. In particular, there was a realization with the cyber criminals going across jurisdictions, across countries to try and hide and trying to have those illicit activities that go unnoticed for longer. We really have to think about how we can look at this globally in terms of how we interact and how we collaborate against cyber that plea was also echoed at the G7 summit of this year in July. And when we think about the role that big tech has to play in that, uh, we also have to consider that also cyber criminals themselves are reliant on the digital infrastructure to be able to launch a number of their attacks, um, particularly when we think about their fraudulent use of Azure or Amazon or even Google infrastructure. So in August of this year, a number of the big tech companies made pledges with regards to what cloud service providers can do. And in particular, Microsoft has pledged uh, and committed over 20 billion investment over the next five years. Uh, and this is quite significant with regards to not just thinking about the, the, the technology and the intelligence, but also a key factor is in that skills gap. And we know that we can continue to need more and more people working in cybersecurity, data science, governance, compliance, and all of these areas. So we've also committed to make sure that we are providing more access to education and learning. So certainly when we think about big tech cloud service providers, we have a huge role to play in the future of cybersecurity uh, and not just in terms of protecting companies, but also, dare I say, protecting nations as well. Thank you so much, Sarah. That was very well put. And I like when you talk about the need for global collaboration, the importance of global collaboration, especially across the cloud service providers and ones like yourself as well. So really good to hear the commitment and the pledge from you to continue to enhance capabilities across cloud and information sharing as well uh, across cloud and cloud service providers. So thank you for that.
Ian, I want to come to you next. When we talked about security in cloud and resilience in cloud, one of the things that you called out was the need for shared responsibility. I want to explore that with you a little bit more. And, and this is because our regulators, while acknowledging that the resilience of our critical supply chain is important, they still place a responsibility on the financial sector to ensure resilience of their own supply chain, especially when there is, when there is a dependency on an important business service. I mean, it's good, it goes without saying there's a need to really understand what shared responsibility means in cloud. What are the benefits and how do you see this actual, actually play out, especially with regards to building operational resilience um, and enabling a security resilience within an organization? Yeah, I agree. I, I think, you know, op resilience is clearly critically important for, for FS firms. We've seen that. And as you say, the regulators and governments fully understand that. As we talked about a bit, you know, the pandemic has showed some of the benefits from cloud in terms of kind of maintaining service availability and supporting remote working. It's made a huge difference there. And I think if organisations build cloud into their rock resilience strategy, it means they can take advantage of a lot of the benefits we talked about, you know, high availability, you know, accessibility and that that on demand scalability and, and, and being able to kind of ramp up from services up and down as, as you need to. Moving into the cloud also presents opportunities for financial services organisations to manage their technical debt. A lot of them, and, and across industry, right, have, have a lot of challenges with legacy systems that can in many ways be less resilient, you know, harder to patch and maintain and all that sort of stuff. And so I think if you move into the cloud in the right way, then you can help to kind of take away some of that challenge. And, and, and ideally, you're doing that through, as we talked about, refactoring your, your systems and your applications. but you know, cloud also has virtualization technologies that like containerization that can, can help you do that as well. So I think that can also be part of that op resilient strategy. As you say, the regulators are really, really focused on this. A lot of that where they're more concerned is around things like concentration risk and, and vendor lock-ins. And so financial service organizations are having to think about some really difficult challenges around, you know, multi-cloud strategies and and where should different services sit? You know, do you have your your telephony and your ATM and your online banking on on, on different cloud providers? But but that can get extremely complex extremely quickly. So so that you know a lot of thought has to go into to how organisations are, are developing their resilient strategies. The important bit though is recognising that there are still risks that come with with moving into the cloud. Uh, you know, we've seen in the last year or so some incidents that are, are broadly linked to the cloud. For example, the Fastly incident that meant that some of the biggest websites in the world were, were out of action for, for a period of time. So it's important for organisations to think about some of those risks and, and how you manage them as part of your resilience strategy. Thank you very much, Ian. And you, we can't go wrong with sort of the basics. How do you know what's in your environment? You know, that's as important as it gets. And as well as relying on your cloud service providers, there's really a need for you to understand yourself. What are your legacy systems? You know, where, where do they sit? What, what, what do they connect to? What are the dependencies? So there's a really good, big importance there. And it ties into your overall operational resilience and your strategy. So thanks for that. Sarah, where can shared responsibility go wrong? And what can we do to make sure that it doesn't? Uh, I probably say there's maybe a misconception sometimes with regards to that shared responsibility model. Um, and I think there's probably that assumption that if you move to the cloud, you put all your data in the cloud, that the cloud service provider assumes responsibility 
for the security and compliance of all the data, which is not necessarily the case. Obviously, this cloud service provider is responsible for the security and compliance of the underpinning platform, but also we do encrypt data in transit and at rest. The simplest rule of thumb and the easiest thing to remember is probably two things. The first one is that the customer is always responsible for their data. The second thing is you're always responsible for the users accessing that data. And I think it's important to understand that, that your tenant, where all your data is always private to you. So actually the cloud service provider has no access, no visibility in terms of uh, what you're doing in that tenant. So you have to take accountability and responsibility, not just for the data, but as we've touched on the access controls, the level of compliance, the policies and the process. Now to aid with that, um, we do have huge amounts of capability that customers can take advantage of. And that can come with regards to that initial building and designing of services. So we talked about DevOps, including those best practices and benchmarks. We also have huge capability with regards to identity and access controls, threat protection, information protection, and some of those wider capabilities. And that just doesn't mean the protection while you're in the cloud. It's also cloud native capability that extends off the cloud. So actually the real big benefit is that you can actually use the cloud native security capability to also um, secure your on-premise and hybrid environments or even your multi-cloud environment. And uh, Ian touched in as well that importance of resilience and availability. So also when we're thinking about the designing of the data centers to enable that, it's not just about having that data sat in one data center, even from a cloud service perspective, you still have to think about um, that high availability, disaster recovery, but we also cater for uh, data residency requirements as well in terms of knowing and understanding that regulators in different countries or jurisdictions will have very strict requirements uh, for either that data to remain in a specific country or in a specific region. Um, so we talked a lot maybe about where things go wrong, but actually there's a huge opportunity to get it right. And if you do it in the right way, and uh, it's really about taking advantage, as I say, about all those best practices, benchmarks, templates, and all the information that's available so to help customers really navigate that, we also have a cloud adoption framework. What are you trying to do when you're moving to the cloud? Are you trying to have cost efficiencies? Are you trying to innovate? And is it that literally that lift and shift migration? And we've written it to be um, technology and cloud agnostic as well. So although uh, we've written it from a Microsoft perspective, it's not unique to Microsoft. It's really about cloud in general. So there's a really a lot of information that's out there to make Make sure customers are doing it in the right way. Thank you very much, Sarah. And a lot of information out there just also means a lot of training and education that's required, especially within the financial sector. And I don't know about anybody, but myself personally, hearing some of these things that you've talked about today, I can say there's some things I didn't know about, some things I am going to go back now and research and really understand for myself, you know, what does it mean to own a part of uh, own services in cloud and how, how does shared responsibility really work? And that is exactly what I want to come to. And, and Ian, you, with your experience working across the financial sector, 
how how have you shone a light on continuous training and education, especially with cyber resilience in the cloud? Yeah, I, I think that's a really key point, Oge. Yeah, the, the nature of cloud means that the responsibility for IT and security starts to get pushed out more broadly, right? It, it goes into development teams, it goes into the wider business. And at the same time, they're, they're kind of managing new technology for them often. And, and I think that does mean there are the potential for mistakes. You know, the incidents that we've seen and that have been in the news, a lot of those are often around people kind of making misconfigurations or, or following bad working practices and, and leading to kind of data leakage type issues and those sort of things. And, and you can only really get on top of that by really helping people understand the technology, how they manage it correctly. You know, you can put things in place and organisations should. And I think Sarah talked about some of it, you know, having the right policies and the standards and, and, and patterns. You can have automated guardrails around how your how your developers are, are developing applications. And a lot of organisations have a have a cloud centre of excellence to, to really help guide and support the business. But ultimately, you need that training programme. You need to drive security and, and, and let the business see it as a as a positive and something that they should take ownership of and, and not something that's a, a blocker at the end of their project. And, and again, that goes back to the point we've, we've raised a couple of times about, you know, this really is about building that security and throughout the life cycle of your projects through your, through your transformation so that you're not having to do it at the end. Thank you very much for that. I mean, essentially, this is just part of building a cybersecurity culture in an organization and, and making sure that people take control and take ownership, like you said, which is a really important word, taking ownership of what you have in the cloud and understanding to the best of your ability how to ensure resilience. It would not be a UK finance conversation if we did not talk about the role the regulators play in the governance and resilience of cloud. And I want to start by saying... In recent times, we have seen regulatory developments, especially across the UK and EU, and a lot of the light has started to shine on the need for resilience in cloud, especially of our critical or important business services. A lot of our focus now is how do we ensure operational continu continuity in the event of a cyber attack, and how are organizations developing that clear understanding of what they have both on-prem and in cloud? And a lot of that we've already covered in our conversation today, looking at shared responsibility, uh, looking at some of the capabilities that the cloud offers. And so it's important that we're also connecting this conversation into what is the role of our regulators in this space. Um, and coming to you, Ian, you already talked about the expectations of the of the regulators. So I want to flip it a little bit here. What is the role of the regulators then? It's one thing to have expectations on the financial sector. You know, they all always do. But what is their role in cloud adoption, governance and compliance? It's a, it's a good question. I, I agree that the regulators are very focused on this. You know, they're, they're concerned about the risks, but also I think they can see the the potential resilience benefits. So, so for me, their role is about facilitating that, that safe adoption of, of cloud. We touched on it a bit, but from a regulator's perspective, you know, the shared responsibility model is there, but ultimately the responsibility for the security of the services, of the data, of, of you know, managing security for the customers definitely sits with the financial services organization. So I think their expectations are very much there. And it's about them kind of setting those expectations and being clear what organizations should be doing. And so some of the stuff you've, you've touched on is really important. I think that the UK PRA guidance around outsourcing and third party risk management, which covers cloud and 
focuses and, and ensuring board engagement, a topic we've also talked about, um, maintaining visibility of your material outsource arrangements, managing things like concentration risk and, and data security. And a, and a really important point about ensuring organisations have the exit strategies in, in place and, and are thinking about the risks associated with cloud in that sense. But also, the, the FCA policy around op resilience is really relevant to, and, and that factors in, in cloud, ensuring that firms understand what are their most important business services and, and the associated impact tolerances around that. And from a cloud perspective, thinking about the potential disruption to to multiple business services and, and what could that mean. So I think the, the regulator's got a really key role in, in helping drive that understanding. And it goes back to a lot of the stuff we talked about in terms of that kind of awareness and, and going into the cloud with your eyes open to, to the potential risks so that you can manage them. The other bit I'd say, and I think we have touched on it a bit, is just, you know, I think there's a role for the regulators here to play in trying to harmonize globally and sort of the varied approaches that are potentially being taken around cloud and cybersecurity. In particular, there are challenges around data sovereignty, and, and I think that's driving a lot of complexity for FS firms to try and manage it, and potentially even limiting some of the benefits from cloud. So, so for me, there's definitely a role there about how can you kind of standardise and try to make things a little bit less complicated for the large global FS organisations. You could have said that better, Ian. Harmonization is essentially the word I have for breakfast, lunch and dinner at this point. Um, and, and the need to really understand what are we already doing? What are we doing well? And what can we do better? And how can we improve on that from a regulatory standpoint? I think that's a really important point to call out. Um, and our regulators are doing, are doing the best that they can. They are engaging directly with the financial sector, with the cloud service providers as well. So we, we, we recognize that. And we also recognize that there's more that can be done as we go into you know, the expectations across UK, expectations coming out from the EU and our response to, to how, how those continue to evolve. And, and Sarah, just from a perspective of a cloud service provider like yourself, how are you reacting and responding to the present and incoming regulatory requirements? I think you make an excellent point there with regards to all of the nuances and different requirements of different regulators globally. And that's really a challenge from a lot of our customers with regards to how do you manage that complexity with regards to different requirements, different compliance, all those reporting requirements as well. But also a number of our customers have chosen to adopt different standards and some of those might be local standards, international standards. So when we're thinking about the different requirements, we want to make sure that no matter where our customers are based or what requirement they're having to achieve, uh, that we try and make that as simple as possible with regards to the capability um, that we've put in place. Uh, but we do liaise a lot with the regulators as well to understand current requirements, but also potentially what's in the horizon. So we have a very good relationship with the UK regulators, for example. Uh, we're talking to them about some of the requirements for multi-cloud. But as Ian said, it, what sounds like an easy thing on paper is actually incredibly complicated when you have to think about not just how you manage one cloud, but actually how do you manage multiple clouds as well as uh, potentially multiple or thousands of cloud applications. 
So how do we help with that? We have the trusted cloud principles, and that's really around um, when we're talking about the Microsoft element uh, of security, privacy, and transparency, we have what we call the trust center. And this means that you don't just have to take our word for it with regards to our responsibilities for security and compliance. Uh, actually, Microsoft has one of the biggest compliance and certification programs available. And within the trust center, uh, customers can and also get access in terms of certifications, applicability, um, but also with regards to any penetration testing reports as well. So we want to make sure that customers have as much visibility uh, as possible, but also baked into the platform with regards to their responsibility for compliance. Um, we've also made it really simple for them to be able to extract information out of the platform. Um, so whether this is for their security, their IT, but also their risk people as well. So as, as we said, there's a huge amount of capability uh, and information available to customers um, for them to enable them to be um, secure, but also to be able to provide assurance to their own business and to their regulators as well at the same time. Thank you very much, Sarah. And it's really good to hear from your perspective as a cloud service provider, how you are responding to this, what the trust center does and how that helps your customers um, across the cloud landscape. So thank you for, for highlighting that. I mean, it has been an amazing time with, with both of you today, just exploring cyber resilience in the cloud, specifically within the financial sector. I mean, talking about uh, this, the state of cyber crime uh, and looking at shared responsibility model and the need to really understand that all the way down to what our regulators are doing, what they can be doing better. So I really appreciate you for, for making time out today and, and uh, engaging with me on this topic. Just as part of sort of what next, and, and Ian, I want to come to you on this. What are you expecting next from the financial sector? What are you expecting next from our cloud service providers? Yeah, I, I think we'll continue to see a rapid growth in cloud adoption in FS, particularly with more and more critical functions and workloads moving to the cloud. I, I hope the firms will become more mature in their approach to this, building in the right controls by default from the start maintaining the visibility of their cloud environments, I think is a, is a really important point that, that you've raised, Oge. And also while they're doing that, really ensuring that they're educating their, their board and, and the workforce so that they understand the technology and, and the risks around it. I'd like to see organizations using the benefits of the cloud to improve their own broader cybersecurity. So, you know, bringing together big data sets to spot anomalous behavior, driving things like data classification to, to make better, you know, more informed decisions around cybersecurity. And hopefully we'll, we'll be part of that with our clients. I guess my concern is that if we don't see organizations managing some of the risks and, and, they, and they're making some of the mistakes we've talked about in terms of just lifting and shifting technology into the cloud and, and not understanding and applying the shared responsibility model, that there's a risk we might see more incidents around this before things get better. But but hopefully that that's not the case. And, and certainly in terms of kind of what we've talked about and the support from the, the cloud CSPs and, and and others, then then I'm you know I'm I'm confident this, this risk can be managed. Thank you, Ian. Hopefully that's not the case and hopefully this risk can be managed. Um and, and Sarah, to you. We've talked a lot about risk and cybercrime, and it's quite scary when we think about that. But I also want to just reflect on the huge opportunity that we all have collectively when we're thinking about, you know, the ability to take advantage of new and emerging tech and how exciting 
that is for us all. Uh, from our perspective, we're actually investing uh, into an artificial intelligence and automation, uh, particularly when we're thinking about you know, the sheer volume of these large data sets. But again, we're also cognizant of the risk and how this can be exploited by cyber attackers, particularly in terms of uh, manipulating that machine learning algorithms. So we've also got the responsible um, AI practice as well that is really thinking about some of these social and ethical dilemmas. So there's a kind of another nuance there with regard to that technology and innovating and risk. Uh, but ultimately, our objective is that we will continue to collaborate. We will continue to share this information as best as possible and to enable all of our customers of all sizes to really achieve that security, privacy and compliance by design and by default. When we're thinking about the investments that customers are making, whether that's to the cloud or different innovative technology, that they don't feel they're in a perpetual cycle of, of transformation. <laughs> really, we want to make sure that they're getting the longevity uh, in terms of their investment. Just to round out, there is huge amounts of opportunity ahead. We just got to make sure we do it all in the right way and for the right reasons. Thank you, Sarah. Doing it in the right way and for the right reasons is the best place to, to round up today. I'd like to thank you, Ian and Sarah, for being here with me today. It's been an absolute pleasure spending time with you. And I'd like to thank you for making time to discuss this very important topic. It's been a learning opportunity as well for me, and I'm sure it'll be the same for our listeners. If you would like to know more about how UK Finance continues to support members with navigating their cloud adoption, resilience and governance, please go to ukfinance.org.uk. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for listening to the UK Finance Future of Finance podcast. For more information, please visit ukfinance.org.uk forward slash podcasts.